Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, August 27, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are at the top of page 141, beginning with, This is not to say. Today's readers, the 12 steps, Linda R., 12 Traditions, Cassandra. Our readers will be of the text will be Deb W., Michelle H., and Penny C. And the share ID for Tuesday, August 26, 2014 is 6792. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop, stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You, the big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the, step, the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Linda R. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Linda R. recovered in North Carolina. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Linda. I will now ask Cassandra H. to read the 12 traditions. 
press star one to unmute yourself, Cassandra. Sally, I can do that. Thank you. Good morning. This is Melanie, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Oregon. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation for all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing on the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying cast. Then press star one to mute your phone in order to have a quiet meeting. Everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. On page 141, at the top of the page, beginning with, this is not to say, and we will end the reading with the top of page 142, where it says, helps many of us. I will ask Deb W. to get us started. Deb? Uh, 
I, Sally, this is Deb. Debbie, I had to uh, mute again. Unmute again. I'm sorry. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, I hear you clearly. Thanks, Deb. Go ahead. No problem. Okay. All right. This is not to say that all alcoholics are honest and upright when not drinking. Of course, that isn't so. And such people often may impose on you. Seeing your attempt to understand and help, some men will try to take advantage of your kindness. If you're sure your man does not want to stop, he may as well be discharged. The sooner the better. You're not doing him a favor by keeping him on. Firing such an individual may prove a blessing to him. It may be just the jolt he needs. I know in my particular case that nothing my company could have done would have stopped me for so long as I was able to hold my position. I could not possibly realize how serious my situation was. Had they fired me first and had they then taken steps to see that I was presented with the solution contained in this book, I might have returned to them six months later a well man. But there are many men who want to stop and with them you can go far. Your understanding treatment of their cases will pay dividends. Perhaps you have such a man in mind. He wants to quit drinking and you want to help him, even if it be only a matter of good business. You now know more about alcoholism. You can see that he is mentally and physically sick. You are willing to overlook his past performances. Suppose an approach is made something like this. State that you know about his drinking and that it must stop. You might say you appreciate his abilities would like to keep him, but cannot if he continues to drink. A firm attitude at this point has helped many of us. And so, you know, what uh, I'm reading here is, you know, how to handle, uh, if you're an employer, how to, some ideas on how to handle uh, an employee that you suspect is an alcoholic. Um, and in this first part uh, of the paragraph on page 141, the first paragraph, it's um I kind of think about the number of people who uh paid a price because of an unexperienced employer employer uh in this area and the, in this first few lines um it talks about um uh honest alcoholics and you know you know I think about when I was in the food, I was in denial, and I, I was lying to myself, and I was manipulating. I just wanted to hold on to the job. So, you know, it didn't really, you know, principles or anything else didn't matter, and I would probably have been very afraid if I had been confronted by the employer about my behavior. But what I really wanted to focus in on is it may be just the jolt he needs, uh, that I know in my own particular case that nothing my company could have done would have stopped me for so long as I was able to hold my position. Um, had they fired me first and had they then taken steps to see that I was presented with a solution containing this book, I might have returned to them. That reminds me of when I first came on to uh, Vision for You. Um, I came on looking for a sponsor. So I wanted to hold on. I wanted somebody to sponsor me. Uh, I wanted to know that I had a sponsor. That was the most important thing on my mind at the time because I thought the solution was in the sponsor. 
And, uh, you know, I, I have kind of stopped the eating, uh, but, you know, we know untreated without the steps, we're just working the diet. Uh, and eventually, just like it speaks here, we'll go back in um, and use again. I, I kind of want recall these little thoughts that uh, I experienced. I was fired twice by uh, a couple of people who were recovered that uh, I wanted to be my sponsor just with my conversation. They were able to evaluate just in a few a few sentences that I had to speak back um, that I wasn't ready. Can you hear me? Yes, Deb, we hear you. Okay, and, and what, a couple of the points that I, I just wanted to throw out there is that um, I had to yield my will to experienced recovered people. You know, I had to have a little bit of faith that Debbie's way, Debbie coming out of relapse, the way that she was recovered a long time ago, or was abstinent, I don't really believe I was recovered, for 17 years, that way wasn't working anymore. So I had to yield my will to the experienced recovered people. Uh, yeah, uh, my old solutions continued to, uh, that I continued to want to put in place, they weren't working uh, sometimes the people in my life, uh, including, um, you know, were keeping me sick, including sponsors and friends and family who, you know, they were trying to be my friend rather than giving me the hard, cold truth. And I had to be willing to walk through this book with an open mind. I had to come in. I remember you know, after all that relapse, I didn't care. I didn't want to be smart. I didn't want to know that much. I used to be a trustee a long time ago. I didn't have any information for anybody because I was in the food. So I didn't know anything. And then the last thought is I had to be willing to adopt the suggestions, including a food plan, that I would have never considered uh, this food plan before in all my years in the program because I was miserable. I was the desperate kind. I was the real compulsive eater. And so those are my thoughts. So uh, I shall pass. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deb. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Would anyone else? This is Larry. Morning, Larry. Anyone else? I thought I heard someone else. Okay, Larry. Go ahead. It's your turn. Good morning. Good morning. This is Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Can you hear me okay? I can, Larry. Okay. My apologies. I was uh, fiddling with the, the mute on mute button. Um, you know, I guess, um, you know, for me, um, one of the central facets of, of my disease was my unwillingness to take responsibility. And, you know, in these paragraphs, you know, to the employer, we learn, you know, that, that it's really, it's imperative for the employer to understand the true nature of this malady. And, I mean, just like it was imperative for me to understand uh, the true nature of my disease, yet, yet even with that understanding, even if the alcoholic ultimately learns about his problem and, and the solution, um, many will be unwilling to take responsibility to, to travel this road, you know, necessary to become recovered. And, you know, it makes me think, you know, in my case, I, there was a misinterpretation, you know, I, I misinterpreted 
the concept of powerlessness. You know, for example, I, you know, I thought that if I'm, if I'm truly powerless over food, my belief was that, that that meant I could not put, you know, put the food down while I embarked on the steps. And that was, I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong with that. If I, I also thought if I'm powerless, I can't choose to take action. You know, I'll just wait until God takes the steps on my behalf. You know, and it's like, good luck with that, that program, that interpretation of the program and of, of, of my alcoholic mind. I, I tried that. It doesn't work. You know, it just didn't work for me. So you see that, that some people will equate powerless, this notion of powerless with the complete inability to take action. And, and that, my, you know, my friends, is, is a lie. You know, it was a lie for me. It's called self-deception. And when I bought into that lie, I was really abdicating self-responsibility. You know, I was powerless over food. Yes, my life was completely and utterly unmanageable. You know, but God didn't force any of us to call into this meeting this morning. He never held me down and stuffed my face with food. It didn't make me morally bad that I did it. You know, it just it just meant, you know, that, that I had this disease and, you know, and that God was not going to put the food down for me, work the steps down for me. You know, but conversely, every single person on the line this morning, any employee that's, you know, that became truly recovered was probably brought to their knees by this insidious disease, uh, like me. And, and one fine day, you know, they became willing. willing willingness is a, is a one-person job. They became willing to move from, you know, the, from spectator to participant. God didn't do that for them. He didn't force them. He didn't force me. And oftentimes, you know, you have good, decent people who choose to be spectators rather than, than willing participants in becoming recovered. And so when we, you know, when we talk to the employer, you know, you know we, we, we talk about the disease, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. But it was, and it was only a seemingly hopeless disease. The fact that I can be on the line this morning, wake up, connect with my higher power, the food doesn't own me. I'm not a slave to the food anymore. That's a miracle. But God did not take the action for me. One day I, I had to make the decision. The disease convinced me to move from spectator to participant. And, and, and thank God for that. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to share on what was read this morning on page 141? Sue G. And I heard someone else. Sue G. Kim. This is Janice. Kim, is that you? Yeah, I'm sorry. I heard Sue G. I heard Kim. And there was one other person. Janice. Janice. Good morning, Janice, again. Okay, so we'll just take those three. Sue G, then Kim, then Janice. Hi, it's Susie, gracefully recovered in, uh, well, now I'm in Massachusetts, my homeland. Yay, I love it here. And I just bought myself a pin at a store. It's a little tiny disc, and it says on it, nobody. That's my 12-step pin. Because I I really see this as kind of, this is going back to the step one for the employer, that the 
that what needs to happen sometimes is the firing does have to happen because that's the total deflation. That's that's helping your addict to say, well, you know what, this isn't working. But then something has to follow. Some compassion has to follow the more steps. So it brings me back to that idea that was talked about in Sunday Special Edition that uh, that every day is uh, living in steps 10, 11, and 1, and that that I really have to go back and get anchored again. And uh, this is just personal. This is who I am. This is not who you are all supposed to be. But I'm a Jew, and I live in my sense of humor because otherwise I can't cut it. So um, I, I have to start with I have to put down the food. But if I take it too seriously, if, if I'm, I have to put the food down perfectly, it has to be the perfect thing, I, I'm not going to make it because I'm living in, I'm, I'm, I'm making myself into a joke. I have to get to that step one in the putting down of the food and see that I am truly powerless. So somebody was, uh, an old AA was uh, telling this little story about how he's at a convention and the, and the speakers are all these, uh, super gurus. They're the, the uh, most recovered of the recovered and they're all on this panel and they're talking and suddenly one of them looks at this guy who's a, a not quite as recovered recovered member sitting in the audience and he and he goes, oh my, he says, if, if it's me. He says, oh Sue, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he gets up from his seat in front and and he goes right over to me and he says, oh, I'm just so sorry. And he says, I could see that absolutely everything I was saying went right over your head. And and that's it. I, I have to accept my powerlessness and and I have to accept that I don't get it and that it's okay. It can just be a laughing matter. You can hear it from another member. The God, the God message can go through the employer, which is another member of the human race, if the employer knows how to deal with us. And the God message can go from any one of us. We just have to be open to hearing it. We have to remember what it is that we always knew. And that, that to me, is the freedom of my recovery, to, to remember what I always knew, to get rid of those those barriers to it. And it's the same process with with teaching a consultant or an employer how to deal with us, that 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 person has to remember what they always knew. And we have to trust that stuff that that's all stated and so beautifully in the agnostics. And then then we can move forward in wherever we are, with an employer or with anybody else. So thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you. Kim? Thanks. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. We're hearing some hard truths here. Uh, so I'm going to pick out. If you are sure your man does not want to stop, he may as well be discharged. The sooner the better. You are not doing him a favor by keeping him on. Firing such an individual may prove a blessing to him. It may be just the jolt he needs. For so long as I was able to hold my position, I could not possibly realize how serious my situation was. You know, and I'd like to look at this chapter also as a sponsorship chapter. How, you know, when we're, when we're working with others, 
and this is a hard truth. I mean, this is just my opinion, but I think as women, since we're dominantly women in LA, our, 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 our socialization is to take care of people. And the big book is real clear that if someone is not willing to put the food down, our job is to leave them alone. Our job is to leave them alone. You know, that we cannot go through this process while drunk. And I think a lot of times in LA, we equate being in the food as not as bad as drinking. You know, but the fact is that our mental capacities are impaired as long as we're in the food. So if someone is not willing to put the food down, if someone is incapable of putting the food down, and I continue to say, it's okay, it's all right, keep coming back, we'll love you till you love yourself, keep calling me, well, I'll just keep solving your problems while you're, while you're trying to figure out how to put down the food. What I'm doing is I'm allowing them to continue in the disease without consequences. And it says here, for as long as I was able to hold my position, for as long as, as a sponsor is willing to let someone stay in the food and stay in the muck and stay in the mire, that person cannot realize how serious their situation is. I had to know that I was beyond human aid. I had to know that I was down to two choices, which it says in the big book over and over. I had to either going to blot out the consciousness of my intolerable situation or I was going to go for spiritual help. It was either alcoholic destruction or I had to go for spiritual help. God either is or he isn't. We're always down to those two options. And as long as I know there's an option number three, I'm going to pursue option number three. And unfortunately, my experience was that often my sponsors would be option number three. My sponsors would help me and, and co-sign my BS to say that it was okay to keep staying in the food. So when we say that we let a sponsee go, it's not because we're being mean. It's because we're giving the, the person the dignity that the food will do what it needs to do to beat them in a state of reasonableness. Because until that person is ready, it doesn't matter if Bill Wilson could come back from the grave and sponsor you, if you're not willing, if you're not ready to put the food down, you're not going to recover. That is the truth that the big book is telling you. That is the truth that I have felt in my own life. And I am someone personally, you know, I want the results and then I might be doing the work. Give me the degree and maybe I'll be willing to take a couple classes. But what we have to do now is say, you know what, we, we need to know that there is an order to these steps and the first one is we have to put the food down 100%. And it's saying here, so I'm going to read it one more time. If you're sure the man does not want to stop, he may as well be discharged. The sooner, the better. For you are not doing him a favor by keeping him on. Firing such an individual may prove a blessing for him. It may be the jolt that he needs. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim. And Janice M.? Yes, good morning, Sally, and everyone. Thank you for your service. This is uh, My name is Janice M. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Yes, okay, it was just talked about and shared about the man that, uh, you know, uh, doesn't want to. But then you get the man or the woman that wants to stop, and they're real. They're real about it. And as an employer and um, a recovered one that at least knows more about alcoholism, knows that this person really wants to stop and honestly wants to stop, not because he's going to just lose his job, wants to stop. That means they desire to stop for good, not until, you know, just to hold their job and then decide, well, you know, maybe in a few months when I get my job and, 
get a little treatment, I, I can drink a little bit more or I can eat a, f- a few times if, uh, you know, when Thanksgiving comes or whatever. Okay, so now we have a man that really wants to stop. So um, here we know that the employer now knows more about alcoholism and um, because he didn't uh, persuade him or enable him or tell him the desire came from the employee, not the employer. So this is the approach that they're suggesting to us of his experience. He sees that this employer is really mentally and physically sick. So he's going to transfer this information to him, you know, and he's willing to overlook any past performances. And, for example, the first thing is, you know, the employer tells the employee, you know, right up front, you know, tough love. I know it doesn't sound good, but right up front that I know about eating compulsively and that it must stop. And it's not optional. There's no op- It's not an option because you're going to die. It's, an, it's a grave illness. It's fatal. So you must stop for good. Not for just today, not for tomorrow. You might say that you appreciate his abilities, which means build him up. You know, first you tell him, you, you say, you've got to stop, you know, you must stop. Then you build him up. You say, you know, you're such a good worker, you know. It, it, it's, it's so worth it to keep you um, because it's good for our company. You've added a lot of um, experience. But, but it cannot, you cannot continue you know, if you keep drinking. And that's tough love. And that's, you know, they have to be hit with that right away. Uh, there's no, like, uh, fooling around, like, you know, oh, well. Uh, so a firm attitude. Um, and so they're going to continue to tell us what this um, this plan is for the employer's approach to the employee that it, he feels is alcoholic. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Janice, and um, this is Sally A. from South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm just going to jump in here for a minute. I cannot resist because my history is just written all over this page. Starting with firing individuals may prove a blessing to him. It may be just the jolt he needs. I read that. I know in my own particular case that nothing my company could have done would have stopped me. Well, that is so true. Nothing anyone could have said. My closest friends, my closest family, never mind an employer, was going to stop me for so long as I was able to hold my position. I could not possibly realize what my situation was. And going on down at the page, it says, you can see that he is mentally and physically sick. And this is what really hits me. I think about right across the page, in the middle of the other page on page 140, it has the word crooked thinking, and it talks about fevered brain. And, you know, it's amazing to me. I, I don't think my employers ever knew what was wrong with what was wrong with Sally. You know, I looked so good on paper. I came in there, and I always, you know, had, I don't know how I just sort of held my breath, and I got some of these really tough jobs, and then I just unraveled because I was in the food for the last 10 years um, prior to becoming recovered. And I look back at all those situations, I don't think they understood that there was anything mentally and physically wrong or that I was literally mentally sick. But what really gathers me, my thoughts here on this page that really stops me short, is that 
I myself did not understand how mentally and physically sick I was, despite the fact that for so many years, when I wasn't binging my brains out, I was focused completely on how can I control this insatiable hunger that won't stop. It was either that I was just letting myself go and just just run rampantly down a river that was just carrying me willy-nilly um, in, in the food, or I was desperately trying to reach for a rock, trying to reach for a stick to stop me, stop me to control the insanity of my thinking, the, the, the nonstop thoughts of food. And did anybody know? Was I going to tell them, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm thinking nonstop about what I'm going to eat and when I can get to that machine down the, down the, down the corridor that's got all those um, peanuts and candy and, and soda and all kinds of stuff in it. I'm not thinking about what you're telling me. I'm thinking, when's my next break? When can I sneak down the hall? So they had no idea. And sadly, I myself didn't really despite the fact that I knew I was suffering and I was in pain and didn't know the way out, never could really understand the nature and the severity of what I was dealing with. And so this page here, when it talks about the serious, how serious my situation was, and mentally, physically sick, you know, it really begins with me. It begins with me, me understanding how serious is what I'm dealing with. Nobody else. And this planet is going to get that until you get it, until I get it. Thanks for letting me share. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and ask our next reader, Michelle H., would you go ahead and on the top of page 142, next he can be assured, taking us to the bottom three paragraphs down to usually the best course. Michelle H.? Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. Next, he can be assured that you do not intend to lecture, moralize, or condemn, that if this was done formerly, it was because of misunderstanding. If possible, express a lack of hard feeling toward him. At this point, it might be well to explain alcoholism, the illness. Say that you believe he is a gravely ill person with this qualification. Being perhaps fatally ill, does he want to get well? You ask because many alcoholics, being warped and drugged, do not want to quit. But does he? Will he take every necessary step, submit to anything to get well, to stop drinking forever? If he says yes, does he really mean it? Or down inside, does he think he is fooling you? And that after rest and treatment, he will be able to get away with a few drinks now and then. We believe a man should be thoroughly probed on these points, be satisfied, he is not deceiving himself or you. Whether you mention this book is a matter for your discretion. If he temporizes and still thinks he can ever drink again, even beer, he might as well be discharged after the next bender, which, if an alcoholic, he is almost certain to have. He should understand that emphatically. Either you are dealing with a man who can and will get well, or you are not. If not, why waste time with him? This may seem severe, but it is usually the best course. And um, as already been stated, this is the approach um, that the employer is being recommended by um, you know, the Recovered People of Alcoholics Anonymous, how you should approach an employee who you've uh, recognized, probably by his actions, 
um, not um, maybe not always showing up to work on time and not giving and being productive on the job, um, but that you know he he may have this disease of alcoholism, and so the approach is not to come from a place of lecturing, moralizing, or condemning, um, but from a place of understanding, and so it's helping the employer to see. Um, and learn about the disease of alcoholism and that this is the approach, but yet <clears throat> not to be um, not to be enabling, um, to take a firm stand and to find out and give this give this employee an opportunity. Does he want to get well? Kind of like the jig is up. You know, we see that you know you're not producing. We're not going to cover for you anymore. We're going to bring this into the light, and we're going to give you an opportunity, and we're going to ask you. Um, but then they're warning the employer um, about us addicts, about how under the influence of chemicals we may not want to quit, uh, we may not be ready. Um, there may be a course of action that has to be taken that, that you may not want to take and that enabling us is not going to help us. And um, it may be seem like a serious thing to do. You may not want to fire him, um, but if he's not willing to get well and if he's still deceiving himself, and um, just taking advantage of, you know, the situation, then it's, it's, it's not serving either one well. And um, when I think back, with, with reflecting on these paragraphs, I was thinking, well, I wasn't fired from my job, and I wasn't fired from the position of wife or mother, but I certainly in my disease was, was failing and not doing a very good job. And as long as I was, um, you know, enabled by my family, and that they were accepting my unacceptable behavior. It wasn't doing me or them any good. And slowly those relationships were unraveling, and that was the, the superior course that it took for me to see um, you know, how ill I was and, and what, it was doing, what this disease was doing to my life, and my relationships were unraveling. You know, there was talk of separation. There was, there was certainly isolation and separation, even living in the same household, and I was becoming more and more isolated myself, and my world became smaller and smaller, and, and food was it. And um, it was because my family didn't want to be around me. They, they, didn't, they weren't accepting my, my unacceptable behavior and anymore, and they were calling me on it. And, and so that it was brought into the light and was something that needed to be faced. It wasn't what they wanted to do, but thankfully those were the things that, that brought brought it to my attention how sick I was and that um, brought me into the back into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous because the first time I was in such denial in 96 to 97 that I left and I didn't want to quit. I, I, I certainly wasn't ready. I hadn't reached that point. So sometimes it may seem severe, but it is the best course. It is the best course. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Would anyone else like to share a three-minute share on what was read here on page 142? Hey, this is Nicole. Could I share? Yes. Hi, Linda okay. from North Carolina. I hear. Okay, Nicole, just hang in there, Nicole. Linda from, Linda, your last North, initial? North Carolina, Linda R. Linda R. from North Carolina. And I heard someone else? Leah. Leah. Is there anyone else? Before we get started, okay, Nicole. Hi, this is Nicole. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Colorado, and um, I really like the um, just straightforwardness of this. Um, really looking at 
whether they're willing and whether they're ready to to quit drinking and um where it it says you know if he if he says yes, does he really mean it um you're really probing this person and whether this is you know two employers but i I also think this is just such um good principles for for sponsoring also and um and where you know it says down here if uh if he doesn't want to stop, you know, then why waste time with him? And it may seem severe, but it's usually the best course. And um, I, I just like how, you know, it goes through um, really looking at if this person really does want to stop, if they're really ready, and how if they're really ready, um, you know, after probing and really um, really getting that idea, if they're, you know, fooling, just trying to fool you or, if they really mean business, then um, you know to do go to any lengths to help this person. But you know, if it's um, someone who doesn't, then just not waste time. And um, where it says either you are dealing with a man who can and will get well, or you are not, and it just gives two people right there. Either they're willing to recover, or they're not willing to recover. And um, so for me, this is just such good principles um, to follow so that I'm not just wasting time um, and focusing energy on people who are of the case that um, are not willing to get well. So um, I just want to focus my energies on the people who, who are ready and who are willing. And um, that's all I have. With that, I pass. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Nicole. Linda R., North Carolina. Good morning. This is Linda R. Recovered in North Carolina, and thank you so much for your service today. As I'm listening, you know, to what was read today, what's coming into my mind is, you know, I've been in recovery a long time and had many, many employers through the course of my career, and uh, the food was down, you know, at that time. However, what I'm equating this with is not only, you know, putting food down and, and, and being in jeopardy of losing a job, I'm equating it with my self-will run riot. I mean, my ego was so out of whack in those years and pursuing things that I was driven to have, you know, in my work, up, moving up the work career uh, ladder. And I remember certain times my employers, you know, would have to confront me about my attitudes and um, pushing my will and wanting the, the employer to give me things that, you know, they really couldn't do at the time. I had a lot of demands. My my, you know, wills, it was step one all the way, not with the food, but with my attitudes. And, um, you know, thank God today I'm recovered. And in hindsight, you know, as I work my steps and do 10, 11, and 12 every day, I see my part in it when I do my turnarounds. And at that time, I did not have that awareness. So I'm just, you know, relating to this passage, not only with putting down substances such as food, also putting down the attitudes and the extreme nature of my illness and my attitudes at that time. So today I'm just so grateful that, you know, in relationships, I, I'm not always the one that has to push my will, that I do see other people's points of view and have empathy and compassion for them, and it's, the only, it's only the result of working these steps. Thank you. Thank you. Maya? Thanks so much, Sally. Will he take every necessary step, submit to anything to get well to stop drinking forever? Um, obviously, we're in the chapter two employers, which 
the big book, you know, does its best at making an effort to enlighten the employers about their uh, employees and the pervasiveness of alcoholism in, in the workplace, the problem of alcoholism in the workplace, and they're giving guidance as to how to, you know, confront these employees. And I certainly have my history written on these pages as well when I look at my work history, you know, in the past. I spoke the other day about, you know, uh, you know, passing out on the on the workplace floor, you know, due to some of my remedies and methods that I was trying out. Um, you know, there were workplaces that I stole from. There were workplaces that I, uh, you know, certainly was not giving my best because my fists were continually digging themselves into, uh, you know, my my bags and purses and, you know, for for substance. Um, so the big book here has a tough love approach, you know, and I know that was true for me. I, I, I did not know what I was up against. I did not know the depths to which this disease would take me, and no frothy emotional appeal was going to convince me. Um, you know, the, that pain was going to be the greatest motivator to affect effect change. So that's essentially what they're telling the employers here is if your man does not want to get well, then let him go. And, uh, you know, because if we do not deal with the disease, it will deal with us, you know, clear and simple. So there is a very uh, straight correlation here to sponsors regarding sponsees. You know, my, my text teaches me that, um, you know, if I'm planning to stop drinking, there can be no reservations of any kind nor any lurking notions that someday we will be immune to alcohol or, in our case, you know, binge substances. And, and I had to be beaten into a state of willingness because addiction is different than any other illness because only in addiction does the sufferer, when given the opportunity to arrest his or her illness, say, you know what, <laughs> that's, that's rather a big commitment. And you know what, I really don't have the time to implement these steps. And you know what, I really don't have the uh, uh, opportunity to, uh, you know, focus in on, on my recovery. And, you know, I had to be beaten into a state of wellness, and this is exactly what it's saying here. You know, for me personally, food had become my mother, my father, my God, my lover, my friend, my companion, and my support. And at some point, <laughs> it began to strip me of any self-worth, dignity, decency, integrity, honesty, pride, you know, or, you know, any, any willingness to live, um, you know. Uh, my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. The worst it got for me, isolation, depression, and suicidal thinking, as we read before. So, um, you know, this is the guidance of of the text right now. And whether you're an employer or whether you're a sponsor, um, you know, take it to heart. The tough love approach is very much taught here and supported. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. <clears throat> Would anyone else Bye. like to on this page. Rabia? Rabia, morning. Go ahead. Good morning, everybody. I'm Rabia, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I love the absolutes of this big book. Either you are dealing with a man who can and will get well, or you are not. Either God is or God isn't. Either I want to recover and I'm willing, and I must do every must in this book, or I'm going to live in my disease. And and that's been 
my story of my recovery, and now I'm doing all the musts, and now I'm living in the sunlight of the spirit. And um, I just want to say I'm so happy to be here this morning with all of you. I was didn't set my alarm. I was intentionally sleeping in this morning. It's been an exhausting 12 days, and I woke up at a minute before 7 knowing, oh, my peeps are all getting on the line. I want to be with them, <laughs> so here I am. Um, of course, I got on my knees on the way out of bed, and thank God for this beautiful new day, and and I haven't done my prayers or meditation. I'm still drinking my first cup of coffee, and I'm here with all of you right now to start my day, and I just want to say thank you, and especially the ones on the line who don't call in and share. I know you're all here. I called in. There's, 100, there's 260 of us right here right now, and... God bless us all and this beautiful journey that we're on. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rabia. Would anyone else like to share on this table? This is Amy. Say that again. Amy? Amy. Take it away, Amy. (laughs) Good morning. Thank you for your service. Thank you, everyone who has shared. Um, I also (laughs) am so grateful for this big book today. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Maryland. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Go ahead. Okay, awesome. Um, it, it just gives you such clear-cut instructions about what it is that we're supposed to do as the employee, you know, as the sponsor. I, I agree the correlation here to the, uh, you know, as the sponsor. And the paragraph that struck me is that we believe a man should be thoroughly probed on these points. Be satisfied he is not deceiving himself or you. You know, it talks about the disease, denial, delusion, and defiance, the three Ds of this disease. And wherever we go, you know, when we are active in our compulsive overeating, we take this disease with us. And it plays out, you know, it played out in my life wherever I went, as well as my home and my workplace. And this denial, this delusion, deceiving myself that I could perform at the workplace as an active compulsive reader was a huge delusion as I stole food, people's lunches from the refrigerators, as I ate my way through trying to work and the highs and lows from the crashes of all the candy and sugar that I was eating throughout the day. All of the different things that I was doing to think that I would, I could deceive myself that I could actually be a, uh, a servant to my employer that I could actually do a good job was a delusion. And this disease is so fraught with this delusion and this denial and this deception where, you know, we think we can function when we really are not, and then the disease takes us down. At least that was my case. And, you know, as a compulsive overreader in the workplace, you know, compulsive overreading, you know, it, it, it shows itself in many different ways. It shows itself sometimes in obesity, but for me as a bulimic, you you know, as an employer, you may not have seen me as, as having a problem because I wasn't, you know, uh, 150 pounds overweight, but you could see me as someone who was stealing from the business and needing to be addressed. This idea of a tough love approach I was lying, stealing, and cheating. I was not coming to work on time. I was lying about where I was when I should have been at work and why I was taking these long lunch breaks and why I was closing the door of my office and taking a nap because of my sugar highs and lows and crashing from binging. And I would shut the door and fall asleep and take, quote, a nap, you know, for two-hour lunches and things like that. 
to say that that I was unemployed was was an understatement. So, you know, it, it, this tough love approach is is so, you know, they're pretty clear here about what it is. You know, the person's either deceiving themselves or they're not. And as a sponsor, you know, it is these probing questions. When I have someone call me and ask me, do you know, they say desperately, frothy appeal, you know, I want you to sponsor, can you help me with this program? And I'm saying, yes, I do, but I have to honestly say I have learned over time that I have to ask some very uncomfortable questions to maybe the person that has asked me to sponsor them because I want to make it very clear, or at least in my head, to make sure that this person truly wants to get well and is willing to go to any length you know, and is desperate enough to do what this program asks them to do in working these 12 steps because I'm not going to mess around with someone who's deceiving themselves who still thinks they can take another compulsive overbite and get away with it. There are too many out there who are desperate that really do want to work it. And my sponsor has taught me the tough love approach, which is you can't, you know, that I should not be wasting my time trying to enable you know, what the disease needs to do to that person if they're not ready to recover. So I need to ask those questions straight up and up front so that I can make the best decision possible about whether or not I truly should be sponsoring them because, and whether or not they are truly ready for this program. And there have been times where I've had to say, I've had to let them go. I've had to say, you know, I'm sorry. I, I'm not, you know what I mean, like you let the disease refund their misery or they need to go out and do more research and development, as they say, because I should not be sponsoring them if they are not ready and that they are deceiving themselves. And I should not deceive myself into thinking that I can help them. They're not ready. Thanks for letting me share with us, Pat. I saw you with us. Who else would like to share on what was read? This is Jan Christine on the team. I'm here. I'm sorry, I have you by accident. Um actually who was that who just said that? Um I'm Jan from Queen Augustine. And if you could make it a really brief share because we're about to end our meeting. Absolutely. I just wanted to say thank you all for sharing. Thank you all for your service today for this awesome meeting. I am really so grateful to be among people who um, understand clearly that in order to work these steps, the food has to be down. And I do not choose to water down my program for anybody that asks me to be their sponsor. And I'm really grateful that... Um, uh, my time schedule changed, and I can be with you, Pete, in the morning. So thank you so much. And I am looking for a sponsor. Um, thank you, Jan. Okay. There will be a time for you to come forward, and you'll get that sponsor, Jan. Okay. Thank you, Jan, and thank you, everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. from Massachusetts please read for us page 164 in A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and thank you for everyone who's on the line. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.